Father, in Psalm 139, there are some tremendous statements about the kind of God that you are. You are, you know all things, you are everywhere, you've always existed, you formed us and fashioned us. Um, you're good. All these attributes, all these traits, all these, we, we marvel at you. We, we really, and, and, and when, we, when we study who you are, verses like, uh, uh, Psalms like 139, we're struck by your greatness, your power, your, uh, your omnipresence. It's impossible to go anywhere and you not be there because the universe and all the worlds are contained within you. But there's one line in there the psalmist says, you understand my thought from afar. This great God formed and fashioned the world, keeps the universe going, upholds all things by the word of his power, has a plan for the ages. You have not, you have not forgotten about us as individuals. You understand our thought from afar. Every guy in here, you understand what's going on in their minds. You know why we were angry today. You know why we were disappointed. You know why we've been fighting off depression. Other guys are not quite there. Other guys, it's a good season for them. And they're enjoying a lot of favor right now. And that, that's a great time. And you, you, you do so much for us. Wherever we are, whatever our condition, and we all walk in here and we're all shaking hands and, you know, being, you know, civil and polite and, you know, friendly. It's what we do. But there's all kinds of stuff going on underneath the surface of all of us. Some good and some not so good. But you understand. Not, not only do you know what's going on, you understand why it's going on. Which is really amazing because it's going on inside of us and half the time we don't even understand what's going on within us. All we know is we're angry. But you understand totally and completely. That helps me. Because, because you don't reject me with all that stuff. Um, you sent Christ to die in our place. You sent Jesus to take our sin. And we've trusted because of your work in our hearts, we've trusted in Christ alone for our salvation. And we've been adopted into your family. And we belong to you. And you understand. As we walk with you, you understand. Even when all that stuff is fouled up and not what it should be, you understand. But we're accepted. We're not rejected, we're accepted. That's amazing. It's amazing. He who did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all, how will he, together with him, not freely give us all things? Help us to, uh, help us to continue just to entrust our lives to you on a daily basis. The stuff on our list we, get, we didn't get done today, help us to go home, sleep, and get some rest. 
we'll hit that list again in the morning, knowing your mercies are new every morning. We're walking this life, we're walking this trail, we're walking this path. We're so thankful you're leading us, not only leading us, but you're leading us with complete understanding. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're continuing this study uh, on the path of life, Psalm 1611. The psalmist says, you will make known to me the path of life by way of review. Some, you know, some guys are coming in, getting settled in. Uh, and I know some guys brought a, a cooler and got some sandwiches in there and just, just pass that out as much as you can. It's nice to share. Um, as you're settling in, uh, just a little bit of review. Jesus said, and I don't, I, see, I do, I, there's a reason I do this. Because some guys, you know, I come every week. Okay, good. I come every week too. But, but I, I, you know, it helps me when, th- when, I, when things are reviewed for me. Because when things are reviewed, then I remember them, you know. Um, I'm dead serious. What is that? Uh, repetition is the mother of learning. That's absolutely true. Um, Jesus said there are two trails. Matthew 7, 14-ish, somewhere in there. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. A road is a trail. It's a path. It's a way. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's the path. That's the road we all start out on. We all start out in rebellion to God. When we hear the gospel, we respond to Christ. He does work in our heart. We, we realize that we're sinners, that we've fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 6.23, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, Romans 10. Um, what does Romans 10 say? I just lost it. Um, um, it talks about uh, Jesus. <laughs> I, just lost, I just totally lost it. If, if you confess with your mouth, here we go, Jesus is Lord, thank you, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He's our Savior, you see? And when we trust in him, and, and what we're doing, we're trusting in him, and we're turning from our, the trail we've been on and we're turning to him. Now, he said in Matthew 7, broad is the road that leads to destruction because it's a trail of your own making. It's a trail of your own devices. It's a trail of your own plan. And as we've said before, uh, it, it's all about self. Our trail before we come to know Christ is self, self, self. It's self, under, we're in the self, self-understanding, self-aggrandizement, self-realization. Uh, we're just in the self. We love self. And everything that I do before I come to know Christ, everything I do is designed to get the best deal for self. I worship myself, you see. It's all about self. But when we come to Christ, we turn, we repent. You you turn. Repentance is a U-turn. It's a change of mind. And instead of you being your God, Jesus is your God. And now you're going to follow him, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. Lord, he's my God, he's he's everything. And now I'm following Jesus on the trail of life. So the psalmist says in Psalm, what was it, 1611, you will make make known to me the trail of life. So we're working through this trail concept because you see, think of all the verses in the Bible that speak of the trail. Well, you can't think of any because I've never seen the word trail in the Bible. But, but you see the word path all the time. What's well, a path? It's a trail. You see the word way. What's well, a way? Some of you live, even our street addresses. You know, you've got, uh, you, uh, you, you, you got, you, I don't know, I got to come up with something. Uh, 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 pre, uh, yeah. Or you got Preston Trail. I guarantee you somewhere you got Preston Way. 
Someone's got pressed in path. Someone's got pressed in gravel. Someone's got pressed in road. There's a concept, Preston Road. <laughs> but, you know, if you know your history, why do we call it Preston Road? Because that used to be Preston what? 100 years ago. 150 years. That was Preston Trail. That's how that sucker started out. You see, they just paved it. But it's still the same thing. It's, it's a well-worn path. Okay. So, we're, we're, well, and, and see, here's the thing. We're all on this trail of life. We're at different places in life. If you're young, you're getting started. If you're, you know, in your 40s, you're, you're halfway down the road. And, and each season of life, each decade of life, and you can even break down the, the decades into smaller sections. Um, I've seen this done. You know, in your early 30s, there's right around the 30s. You know what's going on in the 30s? You're trying to become your own man. Because in your 20s, they call you a lot. You'll be called young man. It's just how it works, okay? Um, then you get to 30, and that's kind of a, that's a marker hitting 30. And, and then, because you're, you're not 23, you're not 24, you've been... You got some you know, miles on your tires. Now, now you're hitting 30. And you probably got a wife and you got some kids and, you know, and you, and you don't stay up as late as you used to. I mean, you can't. You can't do it. And you're just realizing that, you know, and you start to realize, now you can see 40. And you, let's just take your career. So you're in, you hit 30, your early 30s. You know, they used to have a term, I think in law firms, they, they would talk about, and help me if I'm wrong, but I remember hearing this term, junior partner. Well, the junior guys are right around 30. But see, here was the deal. In your 30s, what you needed to do and what was on your mind, you needed to work and you needed to accomplish because you didn't want to be junior when you were 39. When you were 40, you wanted to hit partner. And then after that, you want to hit senior. And, and you see, there are these progressions. It's life. So no matter where we are in the trail, again, review, no matter where you are in the trail right now, you've never been on this stretch of trail before in your life. This stretch is brand new to you, for every guy in this room. You've lived a long time. You've got a lot of experience. You've seen a lot of things, absolutely. You've never seen what you're dealing with this week on the trail of life in your life at this point on the trail because you've never been here before. Have you? No, you haven't. So this is why no matter where we are on the trail, we look to the one who invented the trail and invented life and who owns our lives. Um, Psalm 31, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord, I say that you are my God. My times are in your hand. My time on the trail of life belongs to you. And it does. It's appointed for a man once to die and then comes judgment. So we're talking about the trail. And, and instead of flying through all this stuff, I've decided to slow it down a little bit and really, really chew the meat on this stuff and apply it to our lives. What, what I want to do tonight is uh, I want to I talk some more about the back trail. In fact, I would call this tonight back trail issues. We talked about looking at your back trail, all that's happened up until now in your life, and you see the goodness of God and the hand of God in your life, and you do. But there are, I want to break it down. There are, as we're here tonight, for every guy, no matter where you are on the trail, as you look over your back trail, there are different kinds of issues that are back trail issues. We've got our back trail. We've got our present trail. There's a future trail. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul, speaking of Satan, our adversary, he says this. He says, he says this. He says, we are not ignorant of his strategies. 
Now, one of his strategies is for people to get people to not even believe in him and to believe that he doesn't exist. C.S. Lewis says there are two errors you can make about Satan. Uh, one is to have an unhealth, an unhealthy obsession with him, and, and some Christians, you know, all they ever study is demonology. Well, he's got you tied up in knots if that's all you're interested in. Uh, but the other extreme would be not to believe in him at all. And he doesn't care if you believe in him or not. Uh, the scriptures speak of him. Uh, highest of the angels, fallen in rebellion to God, took a third of the angels with him, um, tempted Jesus. Anyway, he's real. Peter says, 1 Peter 5, your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now know this, when a man gets serious about following Jesus Christ, not serious about being a Baptist, not serious about being a Methodist, or, you know, I go to church on Christmas and Easter, you know, my grandpa was a preacher. Okay, great. That's your heritage. Um, you, it's possible to be vaccinated with Christianity and to think that you know Christ if you lived in the Bible Belt. Okay. But when you really get serious, you understand the gospel, the light is open. I remember doing a men's conference down in College Station several years ago, pretty good-sized church, and talking to the pastor during the break and uh, I was surprised they invited me, that particular denomination. And I really had, I wasn't even sure I was going to go, because most of those churches in that denomination are very liberal. And um, anyway, you know, it was a little dicey. I, I don't know how this is going to go. And I wasn't able to, it, it, anyway, I wound up going. And I don't know, after the deal Friday night, I'm talking to this guy. And he, we, we just started talking. And he said, yeah, you know, Steve, he said, I... Uh, I appreciate, I just appreciated you coming in and open up the Bible. He said, you know, I really didn't come, I, I, I said, how long have you been pastor? He said, I started this church, I don't know, what did he say, 15 years ago. I said, really? He goes, yeah. He said, my dad was a pastor, my grandpa was a pastor. He said, I didn't meet Christ, though I wasn't born again until seven years ago. Really? Now, he knew how to pastor, it was any. He'd seen it his whole life. His dad, his grandpa, he knew what to say. He knew what, he went to the schools. He did the whole, but he he knew about Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. You see, when a man gets serious about following Christ, your ab the, the devil, Satan, is going to get serious about you. So Paul says in Second Corinthians two, we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, as we talk about back trail issues, he uses different. Devices. He uses different strategies with different guys because different strategies work with different individuals. Let me give you several of them. Here's a back trail issue. If you ever say to yourself, I came to Christ so late in life, I wish I had have come earlier. That's a back trail issue. Um, it's understandable, but if you spend too much time thinking about that because, see, if I had come to Christ earlier, I would have been a better husband. I would have been a better father. I would have had, uh, my life would have been productive in the things of eternity that count, but I didn't come to Christ until I was 40 or 45 or whatever it was. If I had come to Christ at 15 or 20, but see, but you didn't. And here's the deal. Here's, here's how the enemy, is that the issue for every guy in this room? No, but for some of you, it's an issue. And the enemy will perpetually bring it up. And when he brings up your past, he locks you up in your present. What it does is it paralyzes you. And by looking at that issue in your life, you've got all these regrets on that issue specifically, and it locks you up. And so much of your energy is thinking, oh my gosh, I did this and I did this. Okay. That's not everybody, it's some guys. Here's the second one. Um, <laughs> I wasted so many years. I wasted so many years. Uh, even as believers, I, 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 wasted, 
I wasted so many years. Uh, I was irresponsible. Oh, I knew the Lord, but I just was immature. I, I never got in the Word. Or I was aware of the Word, but I never applied the Word. Or I wouldn't listen as a husband. Or I wouldn't listen to a friend. I just, I, I just was in kind of a holding pattern. I wasn't, I just, okay, whatever, whatever. But you wasted years. Um, I just thought of something. Well, first of all, I thought of two things. One of them on this point, I thought of something on the previous point. This often happens to me. Uh, on this one, I wasted so many years. You got to, uh, uh, can I tell you this? You got you to tattoo Joel 2.24 on your heart and on your mind. The years which the locusts have eaten, I will restore. Everybody's got wasted years. Everybody's got everybody. I don't care who you are. I wasted those years. I remember Mary and my daughter, Rachel, read the Little House on the Prairie series. Uh, the Laura, is it Laura Ingalls Wilder? Okay. And I remember Mary telling me about the family, I think, moved to Illinois to have a farm. Her father really worked hard. Uh, finally got a crop in, had a good first year, worked again, you know, was starting to get on his feet. He'd had a lot of setbacks, whatever he was doing before. And he had some hope, had a good first year. Next year he works hard, you know, develops some more acreage. And it's just about harvest time, and here come, comes that black cloud, locust. That was discouraging. I want to say it happened four years in a row. It may have been five. He just totally lost heart. They picked up and moved back to whatever he was doing before. And he was just completely wiped out. All those years of work, the locusts came. There's nothing you can do to stop it. God is so great. The years which the locusts have eaten, I, I will restore. I'll never forget the statement of Martin Lloyd-Jones on that passage. He said, God is so great. <laughs> Don't ever forget that God can give you 10 years harvest in one year. The years which the locusts have eaten. What do you got? Four, five years, six, seven, eight wasted years. The years which the locusts have eaten, I will restore. That's a tremendous truth. What I was thinking on, on, on the previous one, I came to Christ so late. I remember when I was in high school, we had some, uh, uh, my mom and dad had some friends and they were out of from out of town and they came over. And Anyway, there was a basketball game, college basketball game, I think between uh, Santa Clara University and uh, University of San Francisco, USF. We lived in the Bay Area at San Jose, I think San Jose Civic Auditorium. And they both, it was the end of the season, they both were, had a tremendous records they were going to be playing. You know, Bill Russell came out of USF, Casey Jones, uh, Santa Clara you know, been a pretty good basketball power on the West Coast. Anyway, we're sitting there talking about the game, and my dad and, his, and, and uh, Dale looked at each other and said, we had to go to that game. You know, it starts in an hour. And uh, I said, yeah, let's go to the game. All right, let's go. And uh, my dad said, well, here's the deal. You know, that auditorium only seats about 5,000. That's going to be a sellout. My mom said, well, do you, you sure you want to go? And my dad said, I, I haven't gone to a game yet I couldn't get into. My dad just took that as kind of a personal challenge. <laughs> Didn't have tickets, but you know what? We'll get in. And we went down there, and I mean, it was packed. I mean, it, it was packed. You, you could, it was just packed. And it, it, I thought, there's no way. And we're just kind of milling around, looking for an opening, look at nothing, nothing, nothing. And then my dad kind of parked at one entrance. And there's people, I, I just remember being kind of, you know, it's just a lot of people. But my dad started talking to the guy. Because you see at basketball games, a lot of time after the second half, they'll, you know, you can get in. It's just how it works. And I was kind of discouraged first half, nothing's happening. We're not moving. My dad kept talking to this guy, and I don't know. They found out they were in, both in the Army Air Corps. Uh, they served under Stonewall Jackson. I don't know what happened, but something <laughs> happened. 
And they're, they're talking, and all of a sudden, before I know it, this guy says to my dad, he goes, there you go. And we, all, and we go in. And we walk in, and standing room, we found a spot to stand, and it was so small. I mean, we had you, you, great, you could, you could not have a great seat. You could not have a great standing position. I couldn't believe we got in. There might have been, I don't know, nine minutes left in the game. And I was so depressed, I wasn't even aware of the game because we had missed the vast majority of it. And uh, actually, that's not true. I was thrilled that we got in. I was thrilled. Now, make the connection. I didn't come till Christ till later in life. Yeah, but you came, and you're in. You're in. Why spend our times thinking about those years? There's not a thing you can do. You're in. There's some benefits. Christ has done something. We're going to see this in a minute. Let's go to the third one. Uh, I'm ashamed of my past. Uh, oftentimes, there is, there is a particular large sin that stands out. We've all messed up in so many different ways. But oftentimes, each of us has something really big that the worst thing that could possibly happen would be for anybody to find this out about us in our past. It brings, whenever we think about it, we're just instantly covered with shame. It's different for everybody. A number of years ago, I read about um, two writers and uh, I read their story right about the same time. The first guy was named Patrick Russ, R-U-S-S. He was born in England in a very wealthy family, uh, but his father squandered during his childhood the family inheritance. He was born in great wealth, and as his uh, school years went by, he suddenly was... Uh, I mean, they just lost it all. He, he uh, as things got worse and worse, he would just retreat into his room, and he was a very quiet young man to begin with, and he would just write down his thoughts. And long story short, at the age of 16, he took some of his thoughts and a thing going on in his life, and he wrote a book for children, and a publisher somehow read it, picked up on it, published it, and it became a huge success in England and in America. Patrick Russ. And people were saying, this guy has an incredible future ahead of him. And suddenly, some royalty started coming in, and he had money that he had made, and um, he was 16 years old. But just a year or two later, he made a bad choice because he met an older woman who had, uh, you know, way ahead of him, married her. They had suddenly a child. Then they had another child. This second child was born with spinal bifida. He's 20 years old, 21 years old. And back then, spinal bifida was a death sentence. 24-7, they're caring for this child. And he was completely uh, immature. He was not responsible. He was not uh, disciplined. He could not handle the pressure of, of, of a sick child. And one day, he walked out the door and never came back and made no provision and just flat out left. His family was appalled. An older brother and his wife took in the family he abandoned. Um, and this guy that had a tremendous literary future literally disappeared the last thing anybody knew is that he went into the military. World War II was just getting going, and that was it. He was never heard from again. That's Patrick Russ, R-U-S-S. Another writer is named Patrick O'Brien. No one ever heard of Patrick O'Brien until he was 76 years old. If you uh, saw the movie Master and Commander, that was Patrick O'Brien's stuff. He um, 
Patrick O'Brien was born in Ireland, went to Oxford, then went to France, went to the Sorbonne, uh, married a lady after the war, uh, bought a little plot in the south of France, and he was a writer and had no success, but he would write longhand in the morning. His wife would edit his stuff, and then they had worked the vineyard, their small vineyard, in the afternoon. And somebody finally published, and then he did a couple more, and, you know. And in 1991, a New York Times reviewer said that his novels about Master Commander Jack Aubrey being the captain of a British ship were the greatest historical novels ever written at the age of 76. And his life took off. And his quiet life on that little hillside in the south of France was suddenly, completely, and totally interrupted. People came from all over. They wanted to meet him. They wanted to find out about him. I mean, he went from obscurity overnight at 76. Incredible money rolling in. Uh, it used to be if you'd walk in and ask for a Patrick O'Brien book, they didn't know what you're talking about. I'm telling you today, you go to a Barnes & Noble, they got a Patrick O'Brien section. That's how it works. Ten years ago, those books had sold three million copies. Okay. So all these people start showing up. Journalists want to interview him. He doesn't like to give interviews. A young guy who loved his books came over and met with him asking some questions and got some answers he didn't feel that really fit. In fact, they seemed a little contradictory. He started doing some research. And he found out this guy wasn't born in Ireland. Uh, this guy wasn't, uh, he wasn't Irish. And he never went to Oxford and he never went to the Sorbonne. Uh, this Patrick O'Brien guy he was Patrick Russ. That's who he was. When he went in the Army, when he left his family, he went in the Army, and, you know, they did some aptitude tests, and because of how his mind was put together, they put him in counterintelligence. And he learned all about secrets. And he learned how to weave secrets. He learned how to cover tracks. And when he came out of World War II, he flat out wove secrets. He changed his name. He changed whatever he knew. And he knew how to do it. And he did it. And nobody knew what had happened to him. He just disappeared. Until that New York Times reviewer said, this is unbelievable. And it all unraveled. And he was humiliated. Now, my point in that long story about two writers is this. Our back trails can bring tremendous shame. So much shame that guys will go to all kinds of lengths in order to cover because we're embarrassed, we're humiliated, we just can't believe we did what we did. And we've all done it. David did it. Psalm 31, please. Psalm 31. Psalm 31 goes with Psalm 52 in regard to the same event in David's life that everyone is familiar with when he saw Bathsheba. And I'm not going to read that story. We're familiar with the story. But in Psalm 31, when he took Bathsheba, slept with her, thought it was a one-night stand. Then he finds out she's pregnant, uh, but she's married to one of his top guys, and so now he's got to bring the guy back in, make it look like he slept with his wife to cover his tracks. You know the story. The guy's faithful. He won't sleep with his wife because his men are on the front lines, sleeps on the steps of his house. David tries twice. The guy has character. He won't do it. So he sends him back to the front, sends a note to Joab, put him on the front line so he'll get killed. So now, and he gets killed. So now David's an adultery, he's an accessory to murder, the whole nine yards. He, uh, after a certain amount of time, David uh, marries this widow. And it looks to everybody, oh, what a magnanim magnanimous gesture by David to take in this, you know. He's covered the whole thing. He's got it all 
slotted. And then Nathan the prophet walks in and says, King, I got to tell you about, there's this one man, he's got just a small, just a small little piece of land. He's got one little sheep. Uh, Surrounding landowners got thousands of sheep. And this is unbelievable. The man with the thousands of sheep came and took his one little ewe lamb. And David comes off his seat and says, who is that guy? I'm going to go handle that. I'm going to go take care of that sucker. And Nathan said, it's you. You're the man. David had covered that for over a year. What David did was, now he's going to come clean, and you got Psalm 31. See, this is a back trail issue. So, very quickly, this, this is the right way to deal with shame from the sin of our past. Psalm 30, uh, and I said 31, I meant 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, watch this, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When we're trying to cover our back trail because of shame and embarrassment and humiliation and all that, see, this is where you got to get into the lies. This is where you got to, you know, was it Mark Twain who said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. But see, we don't tell the truth because we're trying to cover our trail. We're trying to cover up, and we don't want anybody finding out. But the more lies you tell, the easier it is to get tripped up, and it's just a terrible thing. How blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, now look, at, look at what happens when there's sin that's unconfessed, that we don't turn from, that we're covering. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. We've all experienced this. Uh, For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. This is the conviction of God upon the life of a believer. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. This is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. This is the heavy hand of God on the life of a believer This is legitimate guilt and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we have not dealt with before the Lord. He will not let that go. He wants us to deal with it. He wants us to handle it. He wants us to come clean before him. We don't have to live like this. You see, there's forgiveness. But until you ask for the forgiveness, until you're willing... See, the last thing we do, we want, is for anyone to find out about it. But the way you get delivered from this kind of stress and and the juices just being taken out of you and looking over your shoulder every time you turn around is you come clean and you confess it to the Lord. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Watch this. And when I confessed it, he says... You forgave the guilt of my sin. It was forgiven. That's an amazing thing. Now, speaking of the trail, (laughs) there's an interesting verse in verse 8. The Lord says to him, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. You ever uh, on the trail? You ever find yourself needing some wisdom? You got a big time decision? You say, oh Lord, show me. I need your will. Just show me what you want me to do. There's a promise of God's direction and God's guidance on the trail. I'm not a real big Norman Vincent Peale man. Uh, He was the original positive thinker guy. Not real good theology. But he he has some good stories. And... uh, when he was a young guy, he had a little family farm, and he was probably 12 or 13. He'd gotten a cigar somewhere, and he's behind the barn, and he's lighting up this stogie. And he's kind of, you know, going after it. You know, 12-year-old, 13-year-old guys, you know, we, we, we all went through that thing, and he's just, he's just smoking away. And um, <clears throat> all of a sudden, he hears footsteps, and here comes his dad. And he, he goes immediately like this. And he's trying to distract his dad. And, and the first thing that came to his mind, 
He said, hey, Dad, I was going to ask you something. And his dad said, yeah, what is it? He said, you know, the circus is in town this weekend. I was wondering if we could go to the circus. And his father looked at him and he said, you know, Norman, it's not wise to ask for a favor when you're hiding a smoldering disobedience. I always liked that story. And I'd apply that right here. Don't ask for God's wisdom and guidance and show me your will if you've got unconfessed sin that he's dealing with in your life that you refuse to deal with. Now, when we come clean and confess it, bring it out in the open to him and receive if we can, First John 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we do that, then when, when we come clean before him, now I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Don't ask for God's will if you're in rebellion to God's will. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, it makes all kinds of sense. God loves truth. In the heart. In, in fact, real quick, go to Psalm 51. It is 1, 51. 51. It's a parallel psalm to this, to Psalm 32. In fact, it says it in the introduction before verse 1. Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil. He doesn't, he, he doesn't sugarcoat this now. Before he's defending it, he's hiding it, he's lying about it. See, this is genuine repentance. Thomas Watson used to say that genuine repentance is the vomiting of the soul. Counterfeit repentance is the rationalizations of the soul. It is the lies of the soul. It's the misdirection of the soul. It's trying to cover your tail. But when you are genuinely repentant before God, you got the dry heaves over your sin. You ever had the dry heaves? What a wonderful experience that is. Most horrific thing I can think of. But see, when, you, when your sin, when, when you loathe it, and David got to the point where what he did, he loathed, and he just vomited it up before the Father. That's the real deal. There's a godly sorrow. God's moved by that. Against you I've sinned, you only, and done what's evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak, and blameless, you're blameless, Lord, when you judge. I was brought forth in iniquity and sin my mother conceived me. He's talking about a sin nature that we all have and we pass on to our kids. Look at verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. That's what he wants. He knows our hearts. He just wants us to, he wants us to open our hearts to him and receive forgiveness. Okay. This is how you deal with stuff you're ashamed of in your past. You take it to the Lord and you confess it. He blots it out. Your sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. He not only forgives, he forgets it. But the enemy, one of the devices of the enemy, one of the strategies of the enemy, he's going to keep bringing this up to paralyze you in the present and to keep you ineffective. Just know it, it's going to happen. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Why are we going to 1 Corinthians 15? Because if anybody in the Bible could have been paralyzed by their back trail, it was the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, and, and I want to go to Paul because a, a, a lot of the back trail issues, a lot of the back trail strategies are all in Paul's life. So he is a good one for us to observe because we have different issues, but all the issues were in his life. 1 Corinthians 15, and if you look at Verse 8, he's speaking, in 15, he's speaking about the fact that uh, 
you know, uh, of these things are of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried, he was raised on the third day. According to the scriptures, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve. After that, to more than 500 at one time. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now watch this, here we go. Verse 8, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Paul came to Christ late. If you came late, get to know Paul. Well, what was he doing before he came to know Christ? He was trying to destroy the work of Christ. He was obsessed with exterminating Christianity to the point of holding the cult of Stephen when he was martyred and, and, and many others. He's on his way to Damascus to wreak havoc on the believers up there. How many men were tortured and put in jail? How many other men died for their faith because of the work of... By the way, his name was Saul back then. You see... He was the last of the apostles. He was the last one to have the risen Christ appear to him, the road to Damascus. Um, and, and he came late. And all the years before then, it wasn't that he was just kind of, he wasn't just kind of spiritually neutral and building a business and going about his affairs and being a nice guy and building the community. No, he was, he was a terrorist against the gospel and the blood of Jesus Christ. He was number one on the list. He hated Christ. He hated the gospel. He was vehemently opposed with everything within him against it. And then Jesus shows up and meets him on the road to Damascus, and it all changed. He came late, and before he came, you talk about not only wasting his life, but a life of wanton destruction against God's people. I, I, listen, you know the enemy brought this up to him continually. You know it. As he traveled, he would see women whose husbands had been tortured because of what he had done. You just know it. This was, you, and you talk about regret, you talk about remorse, and you talk about the potential to be completely paralyzed by what he had done. Fifteen eight, First Corinthians, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Jesus appeared to me also. Now watch this. Now, now watch this and read it carefully and catch this guy's heart. For I am the least of the apostles. He just wasn't saying that. He meant it. I am the least. I mean, as far as it, I mean, I should never, I should not even be in this position. I am the least of the apostles, and watch this, and not fit to be called an apostle. Hmm. How many times do we say to ourselves, do you hear this voice in your head? You're a Christian? You say you're a Christian? Yeah, you've done this and this, and you still struggle with this. See? This comes up often. I'll have guys, they're starting to get in the scriptures. Just keep your finger there, because I'm not done there. But if you keep your finger there, and then just back up to Romans 7... And guys, they're starting to study the Bible and maybe reading through Romans. They get to Romans 7, and I'll have guys come up to me and say, Steve, you know, I, I, I got to tell you something, I'm worried because I'm, sure I'm, I'm not sure I'm really a Christian. Okay, well, 
I mean, if you trust in Christ alone and you understand the gospel, oh yeah, oh, no, 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 yeah, yeah, absolutely. But man, I am just, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a train wreck in my life. And I was reading this thing in Romans. And if you, let me show you this thing in Romans. Romans 7, verse 15 um, of, of 7. For what I am doing, I do not understand. I'm not practicing what I would like to do. See, that's me, Steve. I don't do, I mean, I know what I should do, and I don't practice it. I do all this, I still do this other stuff. I'm doing the very thing I hate. I mean, that's me, Steve. And I keep struggling with it. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law, confessing the law is good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. They don't get into that. They're just fixated on verse 15. But see, what they see is the struggle. And then they go to 19. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I don't want. That's where they fixate, is 15 and 19. And that's where we fixate. And you know who wrote that? The Apostle Paul. We've been forgiven, but we have not been perfected yet. But you see, you can't just stay in Romans 7. You got to get to Romans 8. One, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I've had guys say, yeah, well, okay, I, yeah, I get that. But see, I don't think I'm in Christ. Because you see, the things I want to do, I don't do. And I, I said, can I, hey, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me tell you the proof that you're in Christ, that you're concerned about sin. If you were in Christ, you wouldn't give a rip about sin. Did you give a rip about this before you heard the gospel and came to Christ? Well, no. I said, there you go. But the Spirit of God's now living in you, and you're growing, and you're developing, and you're maturing, and you're going through struggle. That's how it works, man. Don't forget that. But as you're struggling, you've, you've trusted in Christ alone, there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's go back to 15. Now, there's no condemnation from Christ, but there's condemnation from the devil. Don't ever forget that because he is called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we, he, there's still stuff here. This is very, he's very vulnerable. He's very transparent. He's very honest. Um, I'll pick up a nine again. I'm the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. The church of God, watch this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And what are you? <laughs> I'm an apostle called by Christ. Hand. And I witness, Christ called me. The apostles were chosen in person by the living Christ. Paul was too. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And watch this. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. All right, let me, I'm going to give you two principles right here. I'm going to stop. I'll give you two principles that I read from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Okay. They're not mine, they're his. Number one. Lloyd-Jones says this. What matters is not who you were, but who you are. See, the device, the strategy of the devil is to get me on who I was. That's not where I should be. Paul said... In 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's present tense. It's not past tense. Christ has come into my life. I am a recipient of his grace and mercy. He has given me a calling. I am an apostle. I'll say it again. What matters is not who you were, but who you are. Secondly, what matters is not what is true of me, but what is true of him. Because you see, we're all beset with weaknesses, Hebrews says, and there are certain sins. Some guys are more prone to certain sins than other guys. 
we have a vulnerability in one guy sitting here is particularly tempted uh, by alcohol and, alco- and, and has had a season in life where he was absolutely mastered by alcohol or some kind of substance. That's not everyone's uh, temptation. Every, everyone deals with that to a degree. Other guys, um, their, their tempers, they've got, they've got serious rage issues. I, I was on the plane going to Wisconsin this weekend, and we were delayed, and we were just kind of waiting. And then there's this guy in his 20s, and he's screaming. He starts screaming on this. I mean screaming. I, I'd never seen anybody quite like that. And, I, you know, you fly for 30 years and you see some stuff. I, I mean, the rage that was in this young man's life, probably 25, 26, 27, just screaming at the top of his voice, unaware that people were watching him. I'm sure they were getting ready to call cops. Because a guy like that, you don't want to get on a plane. Um, he walked away. Anyway, it was just, now does everyone, do we all have issues of anger and all that? Sure, sure. But you see what I'm saying there. It was excessive. Okay? There was a vulnerability there. We've all got them in different areas. And we're we're afraid of ourselves. I'm afraid I'm going to fail here again. I'm afraid I'm going to fail here again. I'm and so many of us on the trail, we've come to know Christ, we're absolutely afraid of failure constantly because we know ourselves and we're afraid of ourselves. That's not a bad thing. But, but your focus can't be on you. What matters is not what is true of me, but what is true of him. You see that? Okay. All right. Now let's go back. You guys still with me? Okay. This is where we live, isn't it? This is where we live, on the trail. This is hard stuff. Here we go. Watch this. Ten. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. Now watch this. But I labored even more. I labored even more than all of them. All of who? The apostles. Yet I, but not the grace of God in me. Let me say that again. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. I've been given a ministry. It's unbelievable this has happened in my life. Earlier, I'm not fit to be called an apostle. His grace did not, towards me, did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. The point is Paul refused to be locked up and paralyzed in his present because of his past, which was overwhelming in condemnation to him. He refused to look at it. He focused on the living Savior. He focused not on the years he had wasted, but the years he had left. And it was a motivation for the years that he had left to be as productive as he possibly could be and focused on his responsibilities in the kingdom of God. He didn't didn't take his energy and just let it go with remorse. He took his energy and used it for good. Are you seeing that? Here's how I interpret this. For so many years, I was... Oh, for so many years, I was a, a, a... a terrible husband. I was an adulterer. I was not faithful to my wife. You come to Christ. Where are your energies now? In being faithful. Absolutely faithful. Yeah, yeah, for all those years, you know my wife couldn't trust me. Well, you're faithful and you're trustworthy, and guess what? She trusts you with her life. You see? Oh, I was so distant, I was never connected with my kids, all that. That may be. That may it's true for a lot of us. We were off over here, we were off over here. But see, you can be connected now. 
the years which the locusts have eaten, you, God can give you those years back. Oh, I, you know, I couldn't be trusted. I had no integrity in the business world. I mean, I'd lie, I did this, I did, I falsified this, I falsified that. Okay, that's, that's what you used to do. Instead of being condemned by all that, you're in Christ, and so what do you do now? You tell the truth. You absolutely tell the truth. And in the middle of talking with someone, if you catch yourself starting to tell a lie, you just stop and you say, you know what? Excuse me, but that's not true. I'm sorry to tell you this, but that, that's not quite true. That's about a half-truth, and I've asked the Lord to help me not tell those half-truths anymore. Forgive me. I'm embarrassed, but I'm just telling you, that's not quite right. Let me give you the unvarnished truth. Well, I couldn't do that. They'll think I'm a fool. They'll respect you. And if they don't, it's their problem. You guys getting this? Put your energy... <laughs> Just put your energy in following the Lord. Now, now, don't go crazy on this, that you can't ever relax and you can't ever play golf or watch some football. Don't, don't, don't do that. But you see the point. Don't waste your energy on the past, but focus your energy in the time that you have left for the good of those under your care in the ministry that God has given you to whoever those folks are. You, you see the productivity as opposed to the paralysis? Sure you do. Maybe, maybe 15 years ago, I wrote this. I had read something in the Dallas Morning News. I'll just read it to you. Just yesterday, I read an article about the largest bulldozer in the world. It's a Komatsu D575A. I wish I could show you the picture that accompanied the article. It showed the driver standing in front of the blade. He looked like a grasshopper next to a locomotive. The picture's worth a thousand words, but I don't have the picture to show you, so think about this for a minute. This monster bulldozer is 16 feet tall, Get that in your head. 16 feet tall, 22 feet wide, 41 feet long. It weighs 291,000 pounds, uses 440 gallons of diesel fuel in a 10-hour shift. The engine puts out 1,050 horsepower, giving it the ability to push or pull nearly 250,000 tons. Now, why was the Dallas Morning News writing about this bulldozer because um, whoever runs Collin County just uh, purchased one 14, 15 years ago and I went on to say this county in Texas is growing so fast that they can't keep up with the growing amount of trash the population is, is producing. They just can't do it. So they bought this King Kong bulldozer to do three things. First, the bulldozer digs a massive hole. Second, it takes the trash of all the county citizens and it buries it in the hole. Third, it covers over the hole so that you never guess the trash was there. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus has done for us. He takes our trash. We don't want anybody to know we have trash. We got more trash than we can believe. So what does Jesus do? Yeah, basically, he's dug a hole. He's buried it, covers it up. If any man is in Christ, he is a, a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. <laughs> and he just keeps on forgiving and he keeps on saving. That's how you deal with your back trail. You keep coming to the cross 
of Christ. What matters is not what is true of me. What matters is what's true of Jesus. He is the Savior. Fix your eyes. Not on your past. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. Just a bunch of sinners in this room, but for those who have called upon the name of the Lord, we have been completely and totally forgiven. What an amazing truth. What an amazing gospel. What amazing grace. May we never get over being amazed. May we walk in freedom. May we apply the word of God this week when we are accused by the enemy. In Jesus' name, we ask that you would help us. Amen.